Hey guys, before we start the show, I want to talk directly to all the youth sports leaders out there. Have you ever had to get creative with how you handle replacing a lost jersey or help that new kid get a uniform well past the ordering window? Are you tired of handing out gear, managing orders, and stashing boxes in the basement? Hey, Squad Locker's here to change the game for you. Through our custom online store, you can offer a mix of custom sublimated, printed, and embroidered uniforms, plus team gear and spirit wear, all in one spot. Your always open store can serve coaches, players, parents, and fans directly and on demand, allowing for a seamless process from preseason to your championship run. Check out squadlocker.com forward slash suit up. That's squadlocker.com forward slash suit up to learn more. And now, on with the show. listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Here's our host and Squad Locker CEO, Gary Goldberg. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of On The Whistle, where our guest today is Natalie Hummel from Every Kid Sports. Natalie is the executive director and co-founder, and uh, she's not only a great mentor and coach for uh, this wonderful program, which we'll get into, but she's also um, a mom and an athlete uh, and a coach and a mentor to people as well. And uh, Natalie, we're super excited to talk to you today. Welcome to On The Whistle. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. It's an honor to get a chance to talk with you, so... Well, Natalie, um, we're really interested in your story because, uh, you know, our show is really giving voice to people who make a difference in young people's ability to reach their full potential. And it sounds like to me, you've established a platform, if you will, to use that term, uh, a national approach to solving a really serious problem, which is affordability and access to young people to get a chance to play sports, as simple as that sounds. Is that a good summation of what every kid sports is just to start at a high level? Yes, that's actually a great summation. And I that's exactly how I talk about it, that uh, we have a platform um, that we've created where we help low-income families uh, register their kids for uh, recreational youth sports. And so, as you mentioned, you know, we believe that uh, youth sports is one of the most powerful youth development tools. Uh, and today, uh, low-income kids are priced out of participating. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of factors that are going on in the youth sports market that is creating uh, the issue. Um, you know, we as a country are overly focused on this competitive uh, sports model. And, uh, you know, when everybody moves towards that model, uh, the families that can't afford that uh, end up with, uh, not only not being able to afford to participate in those programs, but with no programming available to them. And so we're trying to solve that problem. Well, we're excited to expose your solution to as many people as possible. Let's just talk a little bit about you and your background. I spent some time listening to a podcast that you were on, and I learned on that podcast that you played some pretty competitive volleyball in college. Is that right? That's right. I, uh, I played for uh, a D1 volleyball team, uh, Colorado State, and 
when I was a sophomore, we were seventh in the nation. And um, yeah, it was really fun to be a part of that. My freshman year, we were not, no one even knew about us. We had a 500 season. Uh, our coach got let go. We had a new coach come in, uh, Coach Feller, and he um, completely, I mean, we had amazing talent on our team, but our the prior coach just uh, would didn't know how to leverage all of the athletes on our team. And when Rich came in, he just took what she had. She was a great recruiter. We had phenomenal talent, but he used all of us in our best strengths and took us from no one knowing about us to being seventh in the nation. We beat every top uh, school in the country that year. So I want to really unpack that because that experience that you had is from my perspective, the magic of the power of a great coach and the, oh, absolutely. And the value that a young person can have in that experience. And so if we could just reflect on that for a bit, and then I want to kind of dig into your inspiration on why this program and what drove you to do this and how you've been doing it. But yeah, thinking back to that coaching experience that you had in college, can you think back about anything your coach did from a tactical standpoint or even from a strategy? Like what was his strategy and how is it so different and how did he employ it to get you guys from what I heard on the podcast, an empty stadium with 10 people coming to your games to a packed yeah. sold out stadium where there was yeah. like, you know, standing only. Yeah. So how do you do it? So, well, what do you, so I, I'll, I'll tell you what he did by first telling you what the, uh, what the first coach was doing. And, and the first coach uh, had these amazing players and, she would, uh, and she believed that you had to be, you know, a certain height to play volleyball. So all of our players were six foot and taller and, uh, but she would play them all the way around. So she'd never sub them out. And so I'm five, six, I'm a defensive specialist. I'm a, my nickname in high school was digger. Cause I love to dig the ball. And, um, and you know, she would never put me in, you know? And so we'd have these six foot girls in the back row and the other teams would just serve us off the court because the six foot girls couldn't move well. They weren't good at digging. And she just didn't have that philosophy of putting in the shorter players in the back row and, and using us all for our gifts. Rich Feller came in um, and he had us all retry out. So even if you were a scholarship athlete, you weren't guaranteed a scholarship. Everybody had to retry out. Um, I was qualified at, I, I, I was a walk on. So I, um, you know, wasn't a scholarship athlete, but we all tried out and he saw everybody's gifts. And I ended up being a scholarship athlete my sophomore year because he saw like, oh man, she's phenomenal at what she does. You know, I just was never utilized in my uh, first year. And so he just built, and he also was phenomenal at building a team. You know, he had, everybody had a role, everybody, you know, we kind of had this elitist, like we had the starters and the bench warmers. Uh, on the, when I was a freshman and then he took us all and made us a team and we all worked together and he was super inspirational. And he just like, um, I mean, we started doing weight training. We started, you know, doing, uh, our two a days were actually like really productive two a days where before it was just almost like punishment. Mm. And he did it to really work on what we needed to work on. Uh, we did a lot of team building activities, um, where we went out actually in the community and built homes for the homeless and did things as a team that really taught us 
showed everybody's character in a whole different way. And um, yeah, he was phenomenal. Um, and he was just, uh, and he, he like loved everybody on our team for who they were. And uh, there was no like pitting us against each other or any like internal uh, strife on our team. And um, yeah, it made all the difference. You, so. you use this phrase, using us for our gifts. It's a really powerful concept. The idea there is that everybody has gifts and that maximizing or exposing them is the key to unlocking the potential of the team. How did you feel when, before his arrival, when you had those two classes, the starters and the bench warmers? How did that make you feel? Sounds like you weren't a starter. Yeah, I wasn't a starter. I was definitely riding the bench and, um, you know, hardly ever got to play unless we were like really killing a team. And, um, you know, she'd kind of put the bench warmers in at the very end, or if we were, um, you know, if we were really far behind and there was no chance, she might let us play for a minute or two. And, and, um, you know, and, the, and there was, uh, definitely the starters would be a little bit negative to the, the, you know, there just wasn't a good cohesive team. We, you know, you were either in or you were out and, and you felt that every day. And there was times where I was just like, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this anymore. You know, it, it kind of was very deflating. And, and, um, and when, when Rich came in, it was just like, yeah, it was really exciting. It was so much fun to be a part of that. And, um, and to, to just be uh, seen, you know, before I didn't feel seen at all. The, the assistant coach was, was actually really great at seeing everybody. And she stayed on when, when Rich uh, was brought on. Uh, Sean stayed on as our assistant coach and, and she was always really good at seeing everybody, but she, you know, the, the head coach would, um, you know, would, would talk over her and, and not let her have her voice. So. So uh, upon graduation, how did you go from there to the concept of every kid's sports and what was the genesis for recognizing the need and then activating the need? Yeah. So, I mean, when I graduated, um, you know, I, I went on and I got an MBA and I uh, was a consultant and um, worked for a big six consulting company and I was in IT and I did all kinds of things in the business world. And, um, you know, as always an athlete, I still played all kinds of sports, but I, you know, was really uh, in business and um, was VP of sales and marketing for a tech company. And just, I did a lot of different roles and, um, when my husband and I uh, got married uh, and we wanted to have it start a family, I uh, had, we had our daughter and then we moved up to Oregon and I started a coaching business. Uh, so I was uh, coaching executives and um, working with CEOs on uh, increasing performance. And I kept having this calling where, um, and I kept telling my husband, it's like, man, I just feel like I need to make a bigger impact. You know, I, I work with a CEO who managed, you know, had a large organization. I was working with Fortune 500 CEOs. And, and you know, I did have a ripple effect of when I would coach a CEO and help him increase his performance. There would be a ripple through the organization. But there's only so many clients you can work with. And, and I, my clients I worked with for a long time, like, you know, some of them 20 years. And so, you know, there, there's only, you know, there's only 20, 25 people that I could be impacting at any one time. And so I kept having this calling and I didn't know what that meant. And I tried a bunch of different things. I, I uh, set up some conferences and I led a couple conferences where I bring on a whole bunch of people. And that didn't really feel authentic either because I wasn't really transforming their lives. Yeah, I'd get them all fired up in the conference, but you need to have some structure that they're in 
to actually change their life after a conference. And so I just kept looking. And then one day I met John Ballantyne, who's the other co-founder, and he started talking about what was going on in new sports. And he shared with me the statistics, which I really didn't know how many kids were playing and not playing. And and when I learned that 68% of kids, nine to 13, were not playing sports and that the number one reason they weren't playing is they couldn't afford it. And then if you dig into that and you look at low income kids, only 22% of low income kids are playing. And typically if they are playing, it's something free offered in their community. It's probably an abbreviated season and they're just not getting the same access. And so I just all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. And I, uh, started as a volunteer and just kind of working uh, when I could on it. And uh, they made me a founder after about uh, um, a month because I just was like, it, it just was like, it, it ignited every part of my my heart and my brain and my, my passions. And I mean, I was just so into it. And so I ended up uh, scaling down my coaching business. I went from 25 clients to, I just kept five of my favorites. And uh, I just dove in, uh, all the way to every kid sports and just started working on like, okay, how can we actually impact the families? We've tried a lot of different models over the years. We've been doing this for 11 years and we finally have figured out a model about five years ago that really works. And, um, but yeah, it was just when I learned how many kids weren't getting the chance to play, I, it just broke my heart. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to give more kids the chance. What is it about this that, uh, you know, you use some really powerful words like it inspired you, it activated your brain and your heart together. Yeah. I mean, that's a person who feels fulfilled. You sound very fulfilled by your work. What is oh, it about okay. this work that is so fulfilling for you? Why is this so satisfying? Is it relating to the positive experiences you had and the transformation that you felt as being coached in sports for you as a kid? Or is it something else that you see as, as valuable in a different way? Yeah. I mean, uh, so when I think back on the sports that I played, so, I mean, I, I'm a multi-sport athlete. I had nine letters in high school. And like I said, I played D1 volleyball. I've played sports, you know, since then I'm a competitor uh, through and through. And I, when I think about all of the life, life lessons that I've learned playing sports, I mean, it, it it's what's defined me. It, it's, it's, everything that I, all the success I've had in my career in my life has come from what I've learned on the sports field. And it's come from the coaches that I've had. And I've had bad coaches and I've had great coaches and being able to uh, see the difference helps shape who I am as a coach. I've been a youth uh, sports coach for, you know, the last 20 years and, uh, or even longer than that. And, you know, it's, from those experiences, right? I mean, we've all probably experienced a bad coach who was like belittling or, or yelling or just uh, angry all the time or whatever it was, or, or wasn't a good sport on the sideline and, and uh, yelling at the refs or whatever it is. And, and so it's helped shape who I am. And so when I think about kids not getting the chance to feel that joy of the first time you throw somebody out at home or the first time you, you crack the bat or the first time you catch a football or, you know, whatever it is, I, it just, yeah, it just inspires me to give them that chance. I also think it's one of the most powerful youth development tools that's out there and it helps with health and wellness. And so it's just like, it's such a multifaceted uh, youth development tool and I just believe in it. And, um, and we've, we've lost, we've lost sight of that, I think as a country and uh, we've turned it into big business and 
Um, we've made it all about winning and losing, and we've lost some of the greatest things about youth sports, and I'm just on a mission to, to bring it back and to save kids along the way. I, I share your passion for the youth development tool perspective. Uh, with Elizabeth, my wife, and I raising our three children, sports had an over or outsized impact on their development and well-being in complement to the academic side of their development and their education. And, um, you know, their ability to learn to win and to learn to lose with both dignity and humility, to learn to rely on other people for their own success. Yes. The critical piece was to learn to either self-advocate or listen to another adult and abdicate their own personal authority to that other adult other than their parents. Yeah. Hey, what's co- you're going to have to talk to coach about that. I'm sorry you're dissatisfied. Have you talked to your coach? What does coach say? <clears throat> As parents, it gives this wonderful third-party piece to <laughs> hand off something to. Yes. But it sure. also starts this important piece of everybody's journey through life, which is who do I report to and what are my roles and responsibilities? <clears throat> because everybody in life goes on that journey. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like, diversity, equity, and inclusion or equality inclusion as it relates to every kid's sports. Where are you finding um, your impact across the communities you're working in? And are you targeting certain areas to try and, you know, not to use a pun, but level the playing field a little bit on access and affordability? Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a really great question. And, and, you know, it's, it's uh, what's, I think one of the greatest challenges we have with uh, what we're trying to do is, is reaching those families. It's, it's not as easy as you would think because uh, you know, the low income families are marginalized in so many different ways and, and technology being one of them, you know, they're not walking around with a smartphone in their hand. I mean, a lot of them are, believe it or not, because that is their only communication source and the only way they're getting access to a lot of their benefits is through their phone. So you do see actually a lot of low-income families do have a smartphone, but there is a huge part of low-income families that don't have that. They don't have a computer. They don't have wireless. They don't have a cell phone. They don't have, you know, so that it's really hard to get in front of them and, and let them know about what we're doing. And so um, we just recently received the funding to be able to, to fully expand our program nationally. And um, as part of that, we're growing uh, a new volunteer uh, program and uh, where we're gonna be working with college athletes, high school athletes, and professional athletes, uh, and also moms in the community, and really anybody who's inspired to volunteer, um, about going into those actual low-income communities and sharing the information about our program. And uh, we find that when uh, it's a trusted voice that's telling them about this, that it can uh, break down some of those barriers, um, especially if you're looking like at a, a Hispanic community, um, just, you know, they're, they're afraid about, uh, you know, being deported potentially or other discrimination that they'll, they're, they are like, Oh, I don't know. This sounds a little fishy and it'll keep them from doing it. But if somebody that they know and trust from their community is telling them that, no, this is, you know, this is legit. This is a, a great resource for you uh, that we can break down some of those barriers. Um, so, you know, like a local bank, for example, they are, we're, we're working with some, uh, some banks and, um, you know, they have a certain requirement of, uh, needing to volunteer in their community. 
And a lot of times um, those bankers, uh, a lot of low income families, they take their paycheck on Friday, they go to the bank and they deposit it in person. They don't trust the ATMs and things. And so that banker actually has a lot of cachet in those neighborhoods and those low income communities. So if he's going back into that community and saying, no, this is something that we, we we've, we've vetted this and we know that this, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. Nobody's going to find out about something. This is really going to help you, you know, here's how you do it. That those people can be a great uh, vehicle for uh, telling the families about it. So. Again, we're talking with uh, Natalie Hummel from Every Kid Sports. And if you want to get on the web and learn more about it, it's everykidsports.org. And uh, it's a great website. You can donate there. You can see some of the different programs, some of the partners and champions uh, that they're working with, um, some cool videos and stuff like that. So I encourage everybody to hop on the web and check that out. Natalie, talk to me a little bit about the impact and the numbers. Like how many kids, uh, how many programs, how many locations, How's it working? Yeah, so we have uh, two uh, programs that we have going right now. Uh, one is the Every Kid um, Every Kid Sports Pass, which is our uh, program that allows families to register up to four times a year. Uh, they get $150 per child uh, or up to $150. It depends on the cost of the program uh, to register their kid in a recreational sport. Um, that program is going to be open nationally starting uh, late June, early July. Um, right now it's open in the Pacific Northwest in Arizona, uh, but in support of, uh, fall sports, we'll have it, uh, available nationwide. The second program we have, uh, we're in our second year of working with T-Mobile and Little League on the T-Mobile Little League call-up grant, which is a program that's designed specifically to help low-income kids register for Little League. And so, um, we're actually closing that today. Um, so it's kind of the end of the, the registration period for little league and the season is kicking off around the country. And so, uh, we, yeah, we are really excited to work with them. And so, uh, yeah, those are really our two, uh, signature programs. And, you know, we've helped, um, over 30,000 kids register for sports so far. Uh, but our goal this year is to help hundred thousand kids. And, um, and because really youth sports needs the help this year more than ever. Uh, the pandemic has forced thousands of uh, little, small grassroots youth sports providers to close their doors. Um, and a lot of them were in trouble pre-pandemic. You know, they were barely uh, holding on. And uh, the pandemic has just really impacted them. They, they were never designed to not have a season. You know, they're, they're mostly run by volunteers. They have their overhead that they, that they uh, have to meet every, you know, every year and, uh, or every month for some of them. And so we're really trying to save all those by kickstarting registration. So if you can think about a low income community, there's a youth sports provider. If he knows that he can get a hundred kids registered into his program, he can have the confidence to reopen and know that all those families in the community can register. And so that's really what we're trying to do right now. Do you get to see any little stories or are you more into the big story? Like I imagine your work is really focused on fundraising, program building and things like that. But do you get to hear the story about the little boy or the little girl? And oh, you. can yeah. you share some of those with us? Oh gosh. I mean, yes. Uh, we, where, who, when, what happened? Oh man. Like, um, so we had this, uh, well, with the T-Mobile Little League call up grant, especially, you know, we launched it in December. The pandemic was still kind of raging at that point. Um, we had, I had one mom who uh, registered and got approved and she called me and was just crying because she's like, you know, this is going to be the best Christmas present that I could give my son. 
and he's going to get to go back out and play baseball. And I can't wait to wrap this up under the tree. And so, I mean, that was going to be her gift to her son was registering him for baseball. And we, we made that happen, you know? And so, um, you know, it's just the, the, the stories and the, the kids that we impact. I mean, we, we had a story of a, a, a little boy who um, his parents went through a divorce and his dad was kind of not in his life and his mom got him into football. And, um, and it was really through, you know, our program that she was able to afford it because all of a sudden she was a single mom and, you know, barely able to make ends meet. And, you know, by getting him into football, he got his confidence back, you know, and he actually, in his own words, did a little video of, you know, telling the story about what, what playing football meant to him. And, you know, as you can imagine when your dad all of a sudden leaves and then you have a football coach, it's like all of a sudden he has a, a father figure in his life again. And it was, you know, super meaningful to that kid. And I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many stories of what sports has done for these kids. And, you know, there, there was a little girl who was, uh, playing, you know, doing gymnastics and then the pandemic hit and her parents like could not, you know, afford to uh, keep her in gymnastics. And then her mom learned about, you know, every kid sports pass and she was able to stay in gymnastics and, you know, she was doing it virtually, but she still could connect with her family. You know, she considered her gymnastics team, her family, and, um, you know, it allowed her to, to stay connected to them by uh, us helping her with that. So there's, Story after story after story. Is it fair to say that every kid's sports doesn't just help the kid, it helps the parents as well? And what benefits do the parents get? Aside from the fact that my kid's getting to play, which is relieving and rewarding at the same time, but are there other benefits for, for mom and dad? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, actually. Well, that's what and we do here on, on the whistle. We ask great questions and we get to the, we get to the kernel of it. Yeah, you did. I mean, it's a, that's a great question because it, it's one of the things I love to bring up is that what I'm really trying to do more than anything is break the cycle of poverty. And what people don't realize poverty is so isolating. So you think of a, I'm just going to, you know, like a, a story of a single mom and she's working three jobs and she's trying to just, just keep a, head, a roof over the head of her children and food on the table. So she's working these three jobs. She can't afford to get her kids in sports. And so it becomes very isolating, right? They're going from job to job to job. They're not even really seeing their kids that much. They don't really have a support system. They're just like surviving. And when you can get their child onto a sports team, all of a sudden that mom, if she can make it to a game, she meets the other parents on the sideline. And especially if you think of a, a, a mom that maybe isn't living in a super low income community, that maybe she's on the fringe, right? She, there's other productive adults around her and you get the, her access to those adults. Then all of a sudden she's not so alone and she can learn about other resources that are available in our community that she may not even know are available because other people are like, oh, wait, I want to help you with that. Oh, I didn't know you were struggling with that here. Let me help you. You know, oh my gosh, did you know that this over here is happening? And and they all of a sudden they learn about other things and you can break the cycle of poverty. I've seen it on my own teams. I, I sponsored a young boy who wanted to play soccer and he was friends with my son at school. And he was like, no, my mom can't afford it. And I just paid it. I mean, this was before we had a program going and I just said, Oh, I, I, you know, my husband and I were like, no, we'll pay for him. We bought him soccer cleats and the shin guards. And we had him on our team and, you know, I drive and I'd, I'd pick him up from school and I'd take him to practice and then I'd drive him home and, you know, his mom was working just all the time. And then finally on a Saturday, she came to one of the games 
she was standing on the sideline and, you know, we live in a, in a very nice community and, and a lot of the people on my uh, team, the parents are business owners and stuff. And so she started, you know, and I went over and I introduced her. I made sure because she was kind of standing off by herself and I went over and I introduced her to the other parents and I said, you know, this is Noah's mom and you know, I want you guys to know her. And, and, um, and then she started, you know, talking with all the other parents and, you know, they got to know her and she ended up getting a job with one of the, uh, one of the, the men on, uh, one of the dads hired her and it completely changed their life. She went from paycheck to paycheck, working three different odd jobs to, you know, he hired her at a very entry level, but health insurance. And all of a sudden she could come to all of his games and his practices. And she's on a completely different trajectory just from getting her son on our team. Why is that so hard to do on a national level? Meaning, meaning the following, it seems like community is the great access to health and wellness, just having community, right? Yes. And so every kid's sports is a community connection tool. It's a little yeah. spark and a little piece of glue at the same time that creates the energy to get people to each other and then keeps them connected some way through this game of sports. Why is that so hard for us on a national level? You, you talked about this trend of sports becoming uh, kind of commercialized or outcome driven. When I was a little kid, we used to play a lot of sports and very little of it was organized. So I'm trying to see if you have any understanding of what happened between you know, the seventies and eighties when I was a little kid to now 2020 with little kids running around, how did it become so complicated? I know, uh, boy, I mean, there's a lot in there, right. But I, I would say one of the, the biggest things is that we've gotten into this competitive sports model where every parent who can afford to have their kid in a competitive sport thinks that that's the path to, uh, you know, that they, they really think, when I talk to these parents, they really think they're doing the best thing for their kid. You know, I, I don't think that they, you know, that they believe that it's the best choice for their child. And every parent I talk to thinks that their kid is, Oh, well, he's just so skilled and he's so talented and he has so much potential. And, and really every kid has potential. Uh, what, what parents, and, and so these competitive sports programs take off, they charge, you know, a thousand to 5,000 to $30,000 a year to have their kids in these competitive programs. And the parents' intent is to do what's best for their child, but what's actually happening is it's it's not good for the child. Um, there's overuse injuries; they get burnt out. Seventy uh, percent of kids who uh, are playing sports from nine to thirteen are dropping out at the age of thirteen um, because they're they're burnt out. It's too competitive. It also there's lots of kids that could play youth sports that the competitive model doesn't fit them. You know, I was one of those kids when I was younger. I just loved all kinds of sports, and I, w I loved that kind of structure. My daughter played soccer up through eighth grade, and she just does not have a competitive bone in her body, you know. But she played soccer and loved the rec model, and it worked great for her. And there's tons of kids like that that maybe they're artists, maybe they're musicians, but they'd still benefit from playing new sports. And they don't have to play it to go to college, and they don't have to play it to be, you know, the best. They're just out there having fun with their friends, getting exercise, listening to another coach, another adult in their life, and they're having fun. And that's what I want to get us back to. And and so I, I think that parents have just kind of bought into this model that the way that to have their kid be the best kid 
you know, to reach their full potential, but you have to have them in this expensive competitive program. And what happens when everybody goes to that model is the recreational sports model collapses because all the people that have money and have means go to those competitive models and all it leaves is the low income kids to be in the rec models. And then when you're only relying on the low income kids, there's not enough money coming in to keep the fields up and maintain everything without some type of assistance. And so it takes a lot like Ron uh, Jaworski is uh, he's raising money to build fields in these low income communities. And there's other people who are building gyms and fields. And we just feel like we're a really good match for those types of organizations. Cause it's like, yes, build a field, build a, a, a facility and then let's get the programming in there and then we'll help get all the kids there. And um, so talk to me about programming because that's where I wanted to go next. So you've got this funding, you put out this availability. Hey, if you're struggling and you want to get your kid into a, a program, we can give you some scholarship funds. Yeah. Well, do you guys actually start to build programming where, hey, in this town, we've got a program called this and it's a rec program after school? Or are you pairing and matching with rec programs and helping support their scholarship needs? Which is it? Yeah, we don't have our own programming uh, as far as uh, the actual youth development programming. Um, we're, we're just enabling uh, low-income families to participate in what's available. Uh, we do, I mean, on the on the side, I'm always looking for those uh, youth sports models that I think are powerful and that I'd love to step and repeat. And, and um, I do work with them to be able to expand their program. Uh, the National uh, Academy of uh, Athletics is um, Aaron Locke is a, is an amazing individual that I've met recently. And he has a, a phenomenal model uh, that, uh, you know, we're working closely with him on expanding his programming because I just, I really believe in what he's doing. It's it's all about sport sampling and and about um, a, you know a recreational uh, model that is like fun for the kids and affordable and and um, and not you know a year round uh, program. And so uh, I'm working with him to try and you know get him into more cities and more areas. Um, so yeah, it, it it's a little combination of both. And and you know we partner with organizations like AYSO and. Pop Warner football and NFL flag. And, you know, these programs that we, that are doing a great job, we try and help them, you know, grow and uh, sustain, but also just the little mom and pop organizations that, you know, there's no way we're going to know all of them. And I don't want to only just work with the big ones. You know, there's these little grassroots ones that are super valuable and they know their communities and they've been there for a long time. And, you know, so it's really about what the child wants to play and supporting that child in that. You know, so it's a little combination. if you go to everykidsports.org and you click on the About Us tab, you can read about the team that they've uh, built here at Every Kid Sports that actually runs the organization. And then they've got a really impressive board uh, as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you solicited and built your board? And for people who listen to our show, a lot of them run youth sports organizations and recreational programs. If they were to want to, you know, build a board of directors that helps facilitate strategy and things like that for their organization, what are some of the tools or tricks, some of the tools and tricks that you've used to be successful in building a board and how do you manage it? Yeah, uh, my board is phenomenal and it's taken me a long time to get, you know, a board like that 
together. And it really, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, finding people that you, uh, you know, it, 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 it's all through relationships, you know? And so it's like, I would meet uh, one person and then I'd really, you know, uh, see something in them and, and, uh, had them, you know, asked if they would be interested in serving on our board. And, and it's, I, you know, I wish I had like a, like, okay, this is how you do it. I, it took a long time and a lot of work and a lot of conversations. And, um, and actually Bob Trigg, who you met, uh, is how I met you through LinkedIn. Bob actually helped me a lot build my board. And he came with a lot of experience from uh, running other nonprofits um, in his past. And so he really uh, had some great relationships that helped me build my board. But Jen Brown has been, was our longest standing board member. And, um, and she is just a phenomenal person who, you know, was also a multi-sport. She had 14 letters in high school. Wow. And, um, like, wait a minute, just is a that possible? Four lot. times four is, yeah, you can do 14. Yeah. 16, yeah. I guess is the max. No, it's three seasons. Yeah. What am I talking about? 12 is the most. How'd she have 14? She, she, she was, she did two sports at the same time, yeah. uh, and lettered in both of them. Yeah. So she was playing softball and she oh. ran over and threw the shot put or something in between games or yeah, something. Yeah, she did track and softball. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually where it happens. That's funny. Um, there's this other really cool tab on your website, uh, which is champions. And you've got these yes. relationships with these amazing world-class athletes. What is their role in your organization and how did they get involved? Yeah. So our champions program um, is relatively new and it's uh, what, what was happening is we had a lot of, you know, athletes and, and other people that would be like, Oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. How can I help? And, and we were just trying to figure out like, well, how can we engage with them? And so we came up with our champions program and there's lots of ways that our champions get involved and we kind of leave it up to them. Uh, but the, the most powerful way they get involved is just engaging with us on social media. So they follow our posts, they retweet, they, you know, they um, just share our content. Um, they also like Ashton Eaton has been probably our longest standing uh, champion. He's won the gold medal in the decathlon twice He's uh, actually from Bend, Oregon, where we're located, a phenomenal athlete. And, um, you know, he's been involved because he was raised by a single mother and was a kid who received scholarships throughout his, uh, you know, at childhood to play the different sports and, you know, ended up becoming one of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, and, and that's what people who win the decathlon are known as the greatest athletes. You know, it's 10 different track and field events and like they're just all around amazing athletes and Ashton is just like a he's an amazing guy and so he's done public speaking for us he's held events for us he's uh done all kinds of things and so it just really depends and and uh, it's really up to the champion you know how much they want to be involved but we've just been reaching out and a lot of them reach out to us and and like Will Buxton is probably one of our newest champions and one of our most powerful champions because he is a Formula One um uh, announcer and he is, has a huge following, uh, around the world. Um, and he does an annual fundraiser in Austin every year and he's raised money for, uh, feeding people. And he found out about us and now we're going to be his, uh, he's going to be doing a fundraiser, uh, in August in Austin for us. And, um, and when he retweets one of our, our messages, I mean, we, we feel the impact, like it, it ripples through our organization and, and he's just an amazing guy. And, and so, uh, and when people see that he's following us and other people start following us and yeah, it's been really cool to, to 
see what happens from that. And he just reached out to us. He just found us on the web and said, I love what you're doing. And it just, uh, you know, what can I do to help? And so, um, yeah. So anybody who is an athlete and has a following or a celebrity or has influence can become a champion. I noticed that you have, um, obviously corporate partners and, um, some nonprofits or excuse me, some trusts or some charitable trusts that have helped support your cause. But I also think I, I saw somewhere that you're starting to think about fundraising on a more individual base or granular basis that, you know, it would be, you, you're welcoming a broader community to come in and support every kid's sports. And so for our listeners, you know, obviously you can go to everykidsport.org and click on the donate button and, you know, you can have an individual impact as little as, you know, a dollar or whatever it is that, that suits the donor. But how are you thinking about fundraising and what is your goal? Where does every kid sports top out? Boy, I don't think there is a top. I mean, there's so much need out there. You know, we're talking, I mean, my goal is to reach a million kids. And if you think about that, the average cost is around $90, that's $90 million that we need to raise. Uh, to help and that's kids. every year. And, that's $90 well, million dollars a year. I mean, I would like to just impact a million kids one time, you know, that's, so that's 90 million. So not, not every year. And, and do you know where you're um, at so far? How many have you impacted? 30,000. Great. So we're on our way. We're on our way. And our goal is to, to reach a hundred thousand this year. And, and, when I say 100,000 this year, that's not on top of the 30, a, a new 100,000 this year. And we've raised the, the funds so far to do um, 70,000 kids already this year. So we're, we are, yeah, we're on a really good trajectory and the, the need is greater than ever right now. And so we've raised, we've raised our $7 million already uh, this year uh, in support of our national platform. And so um, that's what's allowing us to open nationally. And um, and we have, you know, uh, we are trying to increase individual donors and we, the reason we haven't really focused on that is, uh, we've had a lot of success working with our corporate partners and we've had a lot of success. We had this one private foundation up in Seattle, give us a, a multi-year grant that really helped us, uh, expand and, 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 uh, and grow. And so, you know, we're, we're really on the, the precipice of a major change right now, and we can feel it throughout our organization. We've had some really powerful conversations over the last couple of weeks. We've had some commitments from, you know, two major brands that are joining us in our effort. And, um, and you know, like I said, we're going to be launching at the end of June, uh, early July, and that, um, yeah, we're going to be in the news. I can just and, and one of my goals is just to have every kid sports be a household name. So that if a family is struggling, they just know where to turn, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't pay my kids registration fees. Oh, where do I go? I go to every kid's sports. And then on the flip side of that is when someone's like, oh, I want to, you know, donate to a sports-based nonprofit or my dad was a coach his whole life and he's passed away and we want to do it, something in his name that they just automatically go, oh yeah, every kid's sports. Just like when people think of, you know, oh, my dad had a heart attack. I give to the, the heart association. I want them to, to think about us in the same way. And, um, and we're starting to see that happen and we're starting to get more and more of those where they just like trickle in every day. I'm just seeing more and more. And, um, yeah, we're really trying to, the, the, the other thing that I'm working on is trying to connect the actual kids that need help to the people who want to help because we get the feedback all the time. Like, Hey, if there's another kid that can't afford to pay, let me know. And I, I'll write you another check. And so I'm trying to make that possible by showing all of the kids that, that are in our queue that are, are waiting to get funded. 
Natalie, if if I'm listening to this or I know of a family that could benefit from every kid sports, how do I apply for a scholarship? Yeah, it's super easy. So uh, if you go to our page and you click on the, uh, I, I mean, I think even on the homepage, it says apply for support. And um, what the family needs to know is they need to know what youth sports organization they're trying to apply for. They need to know some information the season. So when the season starts and how long it runs, they need to know how, um, you know, a, a contact at the organization and, um, and then they just have to provide some type of documentation that shows that they're a low-income family. And what we really want is the enrollment document that shows. So a lot of times people will take a picture of their card, but that, won't, that isn't sufficient. We need to have the enrollment document that shows that they were approved for the program and the dates that they were, uh, that it's valid for. So it could be uh, SNAP. So if they're on food stamps, it could be WIC. It could be their Medicaid, uh, you know, or their uh, Affordable Care Act insurance. Uh, depending upon the state that they're in. So uh, housing uh, approval form. So uh, anything like that, they can upload that and this information about their child, their age and that kind of stuff. And then um, within two to five business days, we give them the approval. And then what the way the process will work is they'll actually be issued a uh, debit card. And um, that debit card will have controls on it that it'll only be valid at a, a youth sports organization but then they can register their child just like anybody else using their, uh, using the debit card. Wow. It seems seamless. So we yeah. wrap up our show with a, with a question that we ask all of our guests and that is you've competed in a lot of different events and it sounds like you've competed in a lot of different things in life. And I'm just curious, what have you learned more from, or what have you gained more from the wins or the losses? Oh, absolutely. The losses for sure. And um, I think that, Every time I've lost, I always, I just have a practice of reflecting on, you know, what I could have done better or like what, what was it that had us lose? Sometimes we were just outplayed. Uh, sometimes we were out hustled. Sometimes they were just a way better team and had more resources. And I just try and look for, well, what, what was it? And what did I have control over is, you know, cause sometimes you just don't like, if you were just like, outplay like they just had a they were just a better team they had better athletes and we played as hard as we possibly could and you look and you go you know what it's there was nothing we could have you know done differently we played the best that we could have played then you can you can you know go away going you know what we played the best we could we prepared as much as we could but if there is something then it's like okay let's work on that you know so it gives you something to work on so I always like looking at the losses and uh and what I can work on to make it better the next time Natalie, you're an inspiration, and uh, I would define you as a force. You are a force, and uh, we really appreciate the work you're doing and the impact that you're having in communities across across the country, and uh, we want to stay in touch, and we wish you and your program only success. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. On the Whistle is powered by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for customized team apparel, delivered right to your front door. To learn more, visit squadlocker.com.